Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 43, where Peter says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So far our text. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. On this sixth Sunday of Easter, we find ourselves also celebrating Mother's Day, a day set aside to celebrate the women who have given us birth. But in our readings today, we also find the understanding of the church being the mother of all Christians. Before going to Cornelius' house, Peter simply believed the church to be the true mother of all Jews. He needed to be convinced that Jesus' words before His ascension actually meant what they said. Where he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And make disciples of all nations. Jesus had to remind Peter that he had always wanted to bring the Gentiles into the church. He said this very clearly. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So he gives Peter a vision of a sheet coming down from the heavens with all sorts of unclean animals on it. Three times Peter receives the vision. Three times the sheet is taken away and Peter is left to ponder the meaning. God has shown throughout all the Scriptures that He desires all people to be saved. In the Garden of Eden, He offers salvation to all of Adam and Eve's seed. Even though He focuses on Abraham's seed as His chosen people, He still adds foreigners to that number. Jesus' genealogy illustrates this clearly. Tamar was Judah's Canaanite daughter-in-law. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute from Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba, a Hittite. These women figure prominently in the genealogy of our Savior. The Savior of people who believe from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And the prophets bear witness to this. Isaiah says, It shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come, and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. God desires everyone to be saved. So He has set up His church to dispense His salvation. He always works through His people. That work connects us to His Word, His power, and His salvation. Luther Luther teaches in his large catechism, The Spirit has His own congregation in the world, which is the mother that conceives and bears every Christian through God's Word. Through the Word He reveals and preaches. He illumines and enkindles hearts so that they understand, accept, cling to, and persevere in the Word. He refers to St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he writes, The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. But God didn't set up the church to be the mother of only one people. 
He set up the church so that all people would have the opportunity to receive salvation. Salvation through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Only those reborn by the Holy Spirit through the church may be saved. Because the church is where God has promised the Holy Spirit to be poured out. St. Cyprian in the 3rd century illustrated it with the flood. If anyone could escape who was outside the ark of Noah, then he may also escape who is outside the church. Who escaped on the outside of Noah's ark? Who survived doggy paddling for the year plus that the water was on the earth? No one. Only those who were inside the ark were saved. Everyone outside had ignored Noah's preaching for a century. They had separated themselves from Noah and became separated eternally. Although God has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations, the nations around Noah wanted nothing to do with the revelation. Today, the nations around us want nothing to do with the revelation. And no one who refuses the revelation can be saved. So God calls everyone to accept this revelation. And what is this revelation? That you and I can confess in our hearts and with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is the Son of God. And this we know, as I've said it over and over again this Easter season, because the book of Acts just keeps bringing back the third article of the Creed again. That the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. This is a personal faith. And it can be said by every Christian. But it is also a corporate faith that we say together. And that we can say that God shows no partiality. That in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to God. Does that describe you? Are you acceptable to God? Do you fear Him and do what is right? Well, sometimes, but not always. Cornelius was the same way. His servants describe him as an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. But Cornelius knew that something was missing. That he didn't have the whole picture. Therefore, he tells Peter, We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Not only has an apostle come into his house, but Cornelius believed that through this apostle, he would hear God's holy word that would give him what was missing. And that this word would strengthen his faith. St. John will go on to say, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. As we start our first reading, which is at the end of a long narrative on Cornelius, Cornelius isn't there yet. He knows that there's something important that God wants him to hear from Peter. Because, well, he believed in the God of Jacob, But that was because he had many interactions with the Jewish people, which gave him such a high regard from them. 
But it's not until the Holy Spirit descends upon the entire family that they have true faith. Faith that is the victory that has overcome the world. Through the Holy Spirit, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. They have been born of God. They see the marvelous things that God has done for them in their lives. All that is left for them is to receive baptism for the remission of their sins. The main point in Cornelius' conversion is that the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. But, it's also that the gospel is pure gift. It is only received. You can't earn any of it. Even though Cornelius' previous good works were blessed and remembered before God, they did not count toward his receiving the Holy Spirit or for a baptism. Nor did they count for the rest of the family receiving the Holy Spirit and baptism. Everything is given to them solely by God's grace. The grace where he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. This amazed those who accompanied Peter. They believed that they had received the promised Holy Spirit because, well, they were Jews. And God is the God of the Jews. And Jesus was Jewish. The fact that the Holy Spirit would descend upon Gentiles was unthinkable. They didn't understand God's love. Love that shows itself in the very heart of the gospel. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And who are Jesus' friends? Those who have listened to the Father through him. These friends are from every nation. Jesus never turned anyone away. The centurion, like Cornelius, whose servant was ill. The Canaanite woman, whose daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. Even Malchus, a a servant of the high priest who had come to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have been justified to have turned any of these away, or any of the rest of the people that he had healed. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And these, like Cornelius and Peter, like you and me, were lost. Jesus confirms this to the disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. You and I would never have chosen the Christian faith on our own. Even those of us who grew up having to make a decision for Christ. By nature, we think that the idea of a God who will willingly allow Himself to be killed is ridiculous. After all, none of the other world religions have that idea. Their gods don't die. And if they do, it's definitely not to forgive sins. But Jesus gives salvation and the forgiveness of sins to all those who believe in His death and His resurrection. And He especially gives these gifts through baptism. Through baptism, we receive a new life by the Holy Spirit. 
Through baptism, we receive God's grace that freely forgives all our sins. Faith and forgiveness are two separate gifts from the Holy Spirit. Through His interactions with the Jewish nation, the seeds of faith had been planted in Cornelius' heart and soul through the public reading of the Scriptures in the synagogue. But his sins were not forgiven. No matter how many prayers he prayed, no matter how much he gave away in alms, no matter how devout he was in practicing his Jewish faith, he was still stuck in his sins. God's Word, all throughout the Old Testament, speaks about the forgiveness of sins. But without Jesus, that forgiveness is always in doubt. Only when Jesus, the Word incarnate, is brought into the Word proclaimed, can forgiveness be found. Forgiveness is a special blessing that comes from faith. Cornelius knew that God's forgiveness was available, but he could never be certain if he were forgiven. Not until Peter came to proclaim Jesus crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of his sins. Not until the complete revelation of God's word in Christ had been made to him. Cornelius and his household believed and they were forgiven because faith gives forgiveness. God wants everyone to believe, Jew and Gentile alike. God wants to forgive everyone. And those who aren't forgiven are those who refuse to believe in that forgiveness. Because faith gives forgiveness. Faith overcomes the world, as St. John says, because God's forgiveness turns the world upside down. God's forgiveness is one of those marvelous things that we proclaim. He has revealed His righteousness, His forgiveness to the nations. And to keep this faith and forgiveness going... God established the church to be the mother of all Christians. She gives birth to them in the forgiving, faith-filled water of baptism. She rears them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And she holds out her arms to those who wander away. To those who, for a while, decide, no, I don't want to live in the house anymore. I don't want to follow the rules that I have been taught. But she still holds out her arms, like every mother here. I don't believe there's a mother here who would turn her back on her child, regardless of what they have done. This is the picture that God gives us in the church. Always giving the forgiveness of sins. Always instilling the faith to believe that, yes, this forgiveness is yours. Faith in Christ gives forgiveness because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.